Hi guys and welcome to the Research Zone podcast, the podcast where we aim to make sense of youth mental health research. Each week we will talk to a different researcher to learn about their research project, discussing the why, what, where, when and how of their research and most importantly how this can benefit us as young people. All the relevant links will be in the show notes so please do check them out if you're interested in today's topic. Without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Hi everyone, I'm your host Lizzie and today I'm joined by Rose. Rose, would you like to introduce yourself and give us a quick summary of your project? Hi Lizzie, I'm Rose McCabe. I work at City University London um, and I'm a professor in mental health there. And the project that we're going to be talking about today is agency in young people's mental health. Brilliant. Can you tell us a bit more about what agency means and what your research did to investigate it? Yes, um, agency, uh, that's a good question to start with. Um, Agency really means that you feel like you are in control of your life and that you've got um, influence in the decisions that you make that impact on how your life is going. And um, the second part of the question was why we did the project. Is that right? Or Yes. Yeah. So um, we were interested in the project because we know that young people often feel that kind of mental health services or support doesn't speak to them and they don't kind of feel often that they're well supported. So they can feel disenfranchised or um, that mental health services is kind of on a different level if you like to the level on which they maybe feel they need help and support and they don't often feel involved in important decisions so that's why we um kind of settled on the project that's brilliant so what did your research involve like what did you do who did you speak to what did you create we worked with a group of young people um, from the very beginning of the project and we looked at video recordings of young people seeking help for um, mental health crises and we essentially met together with the young people looked at the videos and got their feedback on what they thought about how people were being supported Um, and the nice thing about video recordings is of course that you're not kind of working from what people say happened, but you can see what's actually happening. Um, We looked a lot at kind of video recordings in terms of the, not just what people say, but you know, how they say it, nonverbal behavior, what that kind of means for things like empathy and um, kind of feeling judged or not and things like that. So there was a, there's a lot of um, rich information in how people how communication can make people feel by looking at both kind of, you know, what people say and how they say it in terms of their body language and tone of voice, et cetera. That's so interesting. When you were looking at the videos, were you looking at the clinicians or the young person? Both really. So we were looking at how did um, the clinicians kind of talk to young people? um, How did young people respond to them? Um, what were young people trying to communicate and, and how the clinicians responded to them and whether they responded in, you know, with empathy and with un- understanding. Um, so that was quite a big focus for us because the young people felt that there was such a lot of empathy was missing from these conversations. That's really interesting. And when you say respond with empathy and understanding, what kind of things was that in- 
would that include? Like what were you looking for in these videos? Well, we weren't, um, in a way, we weren't kind of looking for it to begin with, but the young people remarked on how strikingly missing it was. So um, they were the ones who really kind of focused us in on that. I mean, we knew it was important, but they were shocked by how often it wasn't there. And when it was there, um, it would be things like, the clinicians kind of responding in a caring tone of voice, but also um, saying kind of quite basic things like, you know, we can see that you're struggling and that you're in pain and we're here to support you. And, you know, what you've, you know, you've done the right thing in coming and looking for help as well. So empathy around kind of, it sounds like things have been really difficult for you and we can see that you're struggling. So I think a lot of the time, young people felt that the burden was on the young person to prove that they were really, you know, unwell and needed help. So that was something that was came out as a really important finding from from the project. Definitely, I think that validation and that reassurance is what young people need when they're seeking help. So mm. it's quite sad that they felt like they weren't getting it. Apart yeah. from the lack of empathy and understanding, what else did you find in your research? Uh, we found that um, there was a there's a number of different ways that you, that kind of clinicians can um, involve young people in in those conversations. But we also worked with young people to um, produce um, some work around and a poster and some information around what I wish my younger self knew about mental health. And we presented that to um, a school um, and had an interactive session around that. And that was really interesting. And in terms of the um, what I wish my younger self knew about mental health, I think the long, young people felt that they really wanted their message to reach out to younger people who might be struggling with their mental health. Um, and I think the one of the most important things was accepting and supporting yourself. So the first thing is, you know, no matter what anybody or your mind says, it's never your fault that you're struggling. Um, so that um, you need to speak to yourself kindly. Um, and it can be very, very difficult to do that when your mind is kind of screaming at you to do the opposite, but that's when you really most need to do it. And there was a real emphasis on um, reaching out to younger people to say, you know, your feelings are valid. And okay, some people might have it worse than you do, but that doesn't make your feelings any less important. So that was one of the key messages that they wanted um, younger people to know about mental health. And a lot of young people said that, you know, when they were in school, um, and, and many of them are still in school, that there was so little around mental health. And obviously there's such a stigma around kind of speaking out around mental health compared to, you know, if you had a physical health problem, you know, you'd go and see the doctor. But many people, most people say that it's, you know, the hardest thing they've done is to actually reach out and make an appointment with somebody to speak about their mental health. So there's so much stigma in society and also self-stigma. You know, we blame ourselves um, and young people can feel it's their fault, but it's not their fault that they're struggling. So that was the first thing. The second thing was kind of prioritizing your mental health. So it's really kind of working out the kind of the things that help, you know, your, and support your mental health. And although it's really hard because often we know what we need to do, but we find it really hard to do those things when we're feeling low. 
So things like exercise, um, for some people, you know, exercise is their medicine, if you like. So um, rather than taking antidepressants or something like that, um, sleep is really important. Um, and sleep not just impacts on physical health, but also your mental health. Um, and also that different things work for different people. Um, and that it's not really kind of, you know, a one size fits all. Some people find kind of creative activities or just social kind of, you know, support from friends and, and other people or family can, can be um, the right thing for them. Or if you do get into mental health services and offer therapies and arts-based therapy, like a creative um, arts-based therapy can be something for people that works better than talking therapy, for example. Um, the other thing in terms of prioritizing mental health, young people said, was to place boundaries around the things that harm you emotionally and mentally. Um, and that doesn't make you a bad or an uncaring person. But if you are struggling, you know, you need to kind of prioritize your own mental health sometimes. Um, and the third area, this is the kind of last area where um, they wanted, the young people wanted to reach out and, and share messages with younger people struggling was around support and making progress. So one of the things that came up in our work was the kind of influence of cultural background. So if you come from a family and a culture where mental health is really stigmatized, and this was the case, for example, in our YPAG with some kind of um, young people from African families, um, that uh, the family don't understand maybe what you're going through and they don't believe in that mental health you know, is, is that you can talk about it openly. When you say that they don't believe, they don't feel like you can because it's so highly stigmatized. So um, they said your family may not understand what you're going through, but not to bottle it in and seek out support, seek out professional support, um, because a lot of people felt that that was a real barrier for them. Um, the next thing around kind of support and making progress was around just to reassure young people that many people have negative experiences of a therapy or, you know, some kind of support that they receive. And that doesn't mean that you're a lost cause. So some people don't get on with, for example, some of the talking based therapies like cognitive behavior therapy, but they respond really well to art or music therapy. And then also speaking with other young people who had similar experiences can really help make people feel less alone and actually we often kind of share coping techniques and strategies with other young, with other people and for the young people, other young people. And there's lots of brilliant online support groups. Um, so their message really was, you know, take action and, you know, listen to yourself, trust your own feelings and reach out and get that support that you need. They're all such important messages. And I think there's so many great points on that poster. I think it just really highlights that it's not one size fits all, is it, with mental health? Like you have to find your own way. But the power of connecting with yourself and connecting with other people is something that I think really shines through from what the other young people were saying. Absolutely. And um, I think you know, if you're worried about something and you keep it to yourself and it's in your own head, it has much more power over you than if you just find at least a start with one person that you trust um, and that you can connect with and who will, you know, understand and get and get get you. And then from there, you know, then it's about finding the rest of kind of maybe the other types of support that can help you. I absolutely agree. It's so unique, you know, in terms of what is going to work for 
one person is not necessarily the right answer for another person. Um, so it's very, very individual and everybody's got their own kind of set of unique experiences. So I think the connecting with other people, whether that's, you know, somebody that you trust just to have an initial conversation with and then work out slowly, you know, step by step, take it at your own pace in terms of where to go from there. Definitely. I think that's really, really key is speaking to someone who you trust, whether it's a friend, a family member, a teacher, or even if it's a helpline, like there's loads of great helplines on the poster that can be really, really helpful. Absolutely, because sometimes you don't want to, you might want that anonymity, first of all, you know, so if you, if you phone a helpline, you know, that's most of those or many of them are anonymous. So you don't have to kind of, you can just disclose or as little as or as much as you want. Um, so I agree, there's lots of brilliant um, helplines and online um, options as well, support options. Definitely. Um, so going back to your research project where you were analysing the videos, what do you hope the real world implications of that will be? We hope that the um, well, the young people are very keen on us using, using the kind of findings to um, support training of clinicians. Um, so that is one really important area. And then the other important area is kind of trying to develop some kind of um, more resources for young people. So, um, but the young people were very passionate and um, very kind of um, committed to the idea of uh, using like their experiences to improve training for clinicians. Because I think what we're hearing again and again is that, you know, it's not necessarily kind of what young people don't feel often as helpful as well many young people is, is being diagnosed and handed you know a prescription what they really want is to be um to be really heard and understood and to feel that they're not being judged for seeking help so we really need to get that message out there um for anybody who might support be supporting young people and sorry supporting young people and also young people say that they understand that you know often they're you know, the difficulties might be complex and there's not going to be a quick, easy fix. So they don't necessarily, they're not looking for quick fix solutions. They understand it's complex, but um, they really just need that kind of compassion. <laughs> and that's where we want to go with the kind of impact on the real world. We want to change how young people are supported to really emphasize the importance of that basic compassion and um you know validation saying you're good enough and don't you know we're here to support you we have hope for you so don't you know don't give up on yourself and don't um you know don't lose hope for yourself definitely I think they're such important messages and I think it just shows that young people know that there's not a quick fix it's not like when you go to the doctor and you get some antibiotics and your tonsillitis is gone in five days like Young people know that they're kind of in treatment for the long haul, but the power of like nonverbal communication, so body language mm. and tone of voice and eye contact, I think they can all be very good indicators for how much someone is listening and understanding you. Absolutely. And um, we all kind of, you know, when we meet somebody new, we make up our mind pretty quickly about whether we think, you know, <laughs> they're kind of engaged with us and they're listening to us. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, um, 
you know, clinicians have a lot of paperwork to do and um, that does unfortunately, you know, distract from that kind of basic rapport and kind of relationship that um, people say is so important. Um, so it's really basic things. And we often forget about that nonverbal stuff. Um, you know, it's really obvious with, you know, with babies and young people, but then we kind of forget about it as adults. It kind of, you know, um, recedes a little bit. So I think um, those nonverbal components are probably most important, you know, more, much more important in a way than sometimes than, than what the clinicians are saying. It's, it's how they're saying and how they're communicating that they care through the, through the, through the tone of voice, through the eye contact, through, you know, their body posture, are they looking away, are they leaning away, are they looking, typing into computer notes and things like that. And often people are, you know, disclosing really distressing experiences. So you really need that um, level of full kind of, you know, I, I am here, I am listening, and I'm, you know, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I can see that you're struggling, and we're here to support you, I think. Um, that message has to be has to be got across as a very very basic one but so important definitely I think positive body language and recovery focused language are probably the two things that young people would feel would be the most helpful for their like therapeutic relationship absolutely Um, I'm just wondering did you find that um young people who had a clinician who was portraying more empathy and understanding Mm. they have a better relationship with their clinician and then a better recovery outcome we didn't unfortunately so we do we couldn't look at the recovery but we do know that the um yeah the young people who had who have better kind of um empathy and the non-verbal kind of rapport in the in the kind of conversations do have a better relationship with the clinician and we, we do know from other kind of research that 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 really Im- impacts on recovery so it's part of the recovery process for people um, and sometimes that can be even more important than you know other things like if like medication for some people you know that's the thing that really helps them Definitely. And I think that's so important for not just clinicians, but for young people to realise as well. Mm, mm, Um, mm, mm. So if there's any young people listening that may have a clinician who they feel isn't giving them much validation or empathy and they're not getting along with them, what kind of options do they have? That's a really good question. Um, And it's also a bit tricky, isn't it? Because one of the things that came up um, in you know, this and project with young people and other people in mental health services is that people don't really get a chance to kind of feed back on how things are going. Um, so there's no natural way of feeding back that information, is there? And it's quite difficult to, because in a sense, you're, you're kind of saying something negative, aren't you, about the therapist if you feel like you're not getting it. It depends on what kind of, um, kind of therapy or support they're getting. But in some places, you know, you don't really, unfortunately, have the luxury of changing, you know, to another clinician. But I guess there is something about kind of, obviously, good clinicians will ask people, young people, like what they want to talk about and what their concerns are. Um, So I guess young people can have a bit more of a voice in saying maybe they would like to focus on, you know, the kinds of things that they want to focus on. 
um, if they feel like the things are kind of running away from their own concerns. So the empathy, empathy bit is quite difficult. So we often hear from young people that they say, you know, that they the therapist, the clinician didn't just didn't get it and, and, and they weren't understanding. So then did they just drop out? So that is the real difficulty. And I think so often young people feel like they're inferior to their therapist and that the therapist yeah. is like in charge of them. And it's almost like a teacher pupil relationship when ideally it should be an equal partnership and it should be collaborative. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that we kind of talked about in the project was that that power dynamic. Yeah. And it can be really difficult to feel like, you know, you have you have the right to kind of say what you feel you need to say because you know the, the power dynamic that I mean in any kind of you know conversation the power is held by the person who asks the questions. So so Lizzie you are you're in control today. You've got, the, <laughs> you've got the power today. But you know if you think of any like an interview, a job interview or a teacher or so the person who asks the questions is the one with the power. And that's why, you know, we really need to be working with clinicians to show how different kinds of questions create different opportunities for young people or not, you know, to feel heard and understood. I mean, just one more point on what you were just about people then, you know, feeling like the clinician clinician doesn't understand them and um, they don't feel heard and understood and then they stop going. Like one of the things young people said to us that's really important to maybe to re- to say to, to young people listening to this is that if you have a negative experience with, with, with a clinician, that can make you lose trust in services or seeking out support in the future. Um, so it can stop you looking for help in the future when you might be really unwell. But just because that has happened doesn't mean there, there aren't other good people out there who can help you. So, you know, don't try not to let a negative experience put you off looking for help you know another time or in another way so reach out some in some other way definitely and there's thousands and thousands of therapists and times clinicians out there so if Mm. one doesn't work for you then there are loads more that you could see and I think it does young people often internalize these feelings like if their Mm -hmm. therapist or clinician doesn't understand them then Mm. it's often the narrative that's like oh well they don't understand me I'm just faking it I'm just making it up and you kind of blame yourself but it's not your fault it's just the relationship that went wrong not you so I think empowering young people to speak up and to give feedback and to feel like be vocal about their needs in therapy and make sure they're being met is so so important absolutely absolutely I couldn't agree more and I think that is such a kind of it's so sad that you know as you said that people can internalize that those young feelings and they start to doubt themselves and they feel like you know it's me you know I'm I'm the problem not actually as you said not it's just that the relationship didn't work um and another thing that young people said from the project is that they if they get if they feel that they're being judged or they're kind of making it up and they're not really that unwell you know if they're getting that message from the clinician then they go away thinking well maybe you know maybe I'm not that unwell maybe this is just normal maybe I just need to you know live like this but of course you know that's that's really problematic because you know young people can be really struggling and 
then they can, you know, have, have that can lead to a worse kind of crisis and their mental health gets worse and worse. Um, so that's a real, I, I totally agree. We need to empower young people to be able to speak up and have more kind of opportunities to feed, feed into, you know, what, what, what's working and what's not. Definitely. And this might be a harder question to answer, but how do you think we can empower young people? Do you think it's through online resources or training clinicians or more like service level change? I would say all of those things. Um, and I mean, one of the things we're keen to do is to involve the young people in training and that they would they, they have also said they'd like to do that in training the clinicians because I think sometimes as well, you know, we can kind of, I'm, you know, I'm not as young as you and we can forget what it's like to be a young person. Yeah. And so I think, you know, if I'm honest, sometimes with my own children, I forget and, um, and you kind of adopt a certain approach. But I think we all need reminding that actually young people have, you know, really important things to say and they need to be allowed to say them. So sometimes we can make assumptions and I think we need to, we need to be doing all the things that you said, all of those. And I think there's a lot of young, I mean, young people working together are really powerful and inspirational um, forces. So I think that's a really good way forward in terms of involving young people really in in all those changes. Because I think also clinicians want they do want to support people. They just sometimes you know for maybe kind of lose sight of the really important things. And so they are really you know, they, they are very responsive to hearing people's stories and experiences. So, um, and then obviously we need all that kind of reflected in service level changes as well. Definitely. I think it's very much a multi-pronged approach, isn't it? That's needed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rose, it's been so lovely to talk to you and I'm sure we could talk all day about this topic, but just to finish, um, where can people get involved and find out more about your project? We have a website called agencyinmentalhealth.co.uk and on there um, you'll find the um, kind of the poster that the young people created, which is what I wish my younger self knew about mental health. And we also have a a blog written by one of the brilliant young people in the project um, called Catherine, which is on um, the Imperfect Cognitions blogspot. So I can give you more information about that, but she has written um, a blog about her kind of participation in the project and, and her own experience um, of, you know, struggles with mental health. So they would be the main places I would um, suggest. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, Rose. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Lizzie. It absolutely has. It's a great start to a Friday. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you got something from today's conversation and some nuggets of wisdom you can utilise to manage your own mental health. This is a podcast made by young people for young people. So if you liked it, then please do follow us on socials and let us know about any future topics you would like to see. We hope you have a wonderful week and most importantly, take care of yourself.